and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week, we're here to bring you the strategies and advice that you need to achieve your writing goals. This week, we're talking to email marketing heroes, Rob and Kennedy, about, you guessed it, email marketing, and how to use storytelling and psychology to make it fun for you and your readers. No, really, I'm serious. Stop laughing at me. It is a thing. Email marketing can be fun, or so Christina keeps telling me. know them as the host of the very entertaining podcast the email marketing show or as the founders of the survey platform that makes you sales response suite our guests this week are fast becoming recognized as two of the most dynamic speakers in the world and for reshaping the way we think about email marketing redhead rob is a comedy stage hypnotist and platinum haired kennedy a psychological mind reader or mentalist as they call it in the u.s who have spent almost 18 years relying on their skills of getting into other people's heads to carve out successful careers in show business. Now, as founders of emailmarketingheroes.com, Rob and Kennedy's mission is to save the world from grubby old-fashioned email marketing we've all grown to loathe and give others tools to become the email marketing heroes for their small businesses. Wherever you happen to be in your relationship with email marketing, Robin Kennedy are here to help you make more sales and grow your business by sending more emails that people love receiving. I sat down with them to talk about two of our favorite subjects, psychology and storytelling. When you frame it like that, email marketing does sound a lot more fun. Just wait, you're going to love this interview. A big thank you to our patrons for your support. We couldn't do this without you. As a patron, you get early access to episodes bonus content, and our undying gratitude for supporting all the hard work that goes into making these episodes to inspire and motivate you. And when we hit 15 episodes, we'll be setting up a Discord where you can connect with other writers, get daily accountability. Well, I know I keep saying this, but daily accountability? Are we sure we want to do that? Yeah, because the more often you do it, the more something becomes a habit and the more you get those dopamine fixes... I make it sound like a drug. I suppose it kind of is. And then the more you associate writing with positive things and the more you want to do writing and the more you get done, the more you progress as a writer and the happier you are because you're getting more dopamine. I mean, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You'll also be able to get advice, problem solve, talk about anything mindset, craft and business related with people who are in it doing the same thing as you going through the same thing or maybe they've come out the other side and they have exactly the solution you need to your problem but we can't do it until we've got a big enough community to make it worthwhile that sounds amazing where can our writers go to find out more to find out more and help us start building that community visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset what did your t-shirt say ellie i'd rather be writing offended I mean, not right now, but it, on most other occasions, I would rather be writing. And so I purchased a T-shirt that conveys those exact feelings. Did you get it from our merch shop by any chance? Well, actually, yes, I did. What was merch? Have you worn it to any work meetings yet? <laughs> I mean, I try and wear passive-aggressive clothes on all my work meetings. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you'd like to wear passive aggressive clothes <laughs> to your work meetings, you can find Ellie's t-shirt, my t-shirt, which says one chapter at a time. I'm not going to try and stand up and fall over like I did in the last episode. You can find merch just like ours over at writerscookbook.com forward slash merch. With me today are very amazing Robin Kennedy. Very amazing. Yeah. I was going to say something else about how like intelligent you are and how much you know about psychology and my mind just derped. (laughs) So you got very amazing. (laughs) Love it. We'll pack that as we go. Yeah. All right. So for our listeners who haven't heard of you and the great things that you do, can you just fill them in a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So we've got an unusual story. Um, I'm Rob, uh, Rob with the red hair, Arthur Rob, Arthur Red, no more, no more clues. Kennedy is the... Um, Intelligent, the sexy and good looking and funny one. He's the other one. We'll call him the other one. Um, we created a business called Email Marketing Heroes, and that has come from the fact that I am a hypnotist. For the past 18 years now, I've been really lucky enough to travel almost all over the world performing my comedy hypnotism show, hypnotizing people and making them do crazy things. And Kennedy is a psychological mind reader, or in the States, they call it a mentalist, basically uses skills like psychology, body language, influencing people's statistics and reading people to make it look a lot like he can read people's minds. And we both started out as entertainers for me straight out of sixth form and for Kennedy straight out of university. And we realized we'd accidentally started a business. Neither of us were particularly entrepreneurial, but we both started a business just by the very nature of the fact we wanted to get paid for doing the thing that we wanted to do, in our case, performing. And so that meant we had to suddenly learn loads of business things we didn't want to learn, like marketing and branding and positioning and pricing and tax and invoicing and things like that. And so when it came to the marketing of stuff and getting booked and getting gigs and getting rebooked and uh, re-gigs, I suppose, um, we just found that email was a really good way to do it. And we just both independently totally like locked away in our closets like closet entrepreneurs yeah closet closetpreneurs exactly which is somebody who sells closets if you didn't know um basically that means that we were just doing it and trying to figure out how to do this email marketing lock and one day just swapped notes um over a bowl of cornflakes each and just said look this is what i've been doing with my email marketing and uh, kennedy said i've been doing the same sort of thing and we just became obsessed with email as a really cool way of doing it and eventually that led to us helping other entertainers to use email and now all kinds of businesses from authors through to people who make and sell jewelry and everything in between amazing um i particularly love the fact that you tackle email marketing from a psychology standpoint because i think too many people don't understand the link between the two and how if you take that psychology angle it makes it more fun rather than it just feeling like you're destroying your soul every time you send an email for sure yeah i think i think the big thing that we like to think about is we like to remember that we are humans at the other end of the email. It's not just I'm emailing, emailing my list and, and, and that's it. Uh, these are individual people. And if you understand how people behave, what annoys them, what excites them, what grabs their interest, what, what causes them to take action and go download that free sample chapter of your book or buy your new book, or whatever it's going to be, you do that through relationships. I'm sure we'll unpack that today and by having an impact. Exactly. So... We obviously know and love email marketing, but for anyone who's like, I'm an author, I don't need email marketing. How is it going to help me? Can you just explain why email marketing is important for any business, regardless of what they sell, whether it's a product, a service, a book, a course, a tree, whatever? Sure. I mean, the thing is, what what we have as people who I've written books myself and in the past in a different industry, um, non-fiction-y stuff. And the thing is, in most niches, 
that book price, the retail price of a book is under £50 or $50. You've got a small transaction price. The, the price someone pays for your thing is, is low per unit, which means you. We, what we need to do is figure out how do we get your work that you've poured your heart and soul into. You put all this work and rework and all that sort of stress and worry and coming up with these conundrums of how can I get that character to do that when they're supposed to be that? All that stuff. When you've juggled all of that, how do you get into more people's more people's hands? How do you get it onto their e-readers and into their hands? If you're going to run ads, ad prices continue and that's just the nature of them, to increase. Facebook ad cost per acquisition is increasing. The same on YouTube ads, the same across every network, and that's the way they work. There's a point at which, as authors, we can't afford to run a Facebook ad to get somebody to buy your book, right? But the good news is, you might get them to buy your first book through that Facebook ad, but now they're on your email list. Lovely. Which means the next time you release a book or you do a little additional uh, piece of the book or something like and you release that and you make that purchasable or something like that, an addition, another book, whatever, it means you can now email them for free. You don't need to run ads again. You don't need to hope that by sticking it on your Instagram, the algorithm's going to be your mate that day and, ho- and show it to all of the, all the people who might want to buy it because it flipping won't. So what you end up with is you end up with this database, this fan club of people who love your work, not just reading books, not just reading books about your topic or in your in your niche or in your category, but people who love reading your books. That's what we call an environment of zero competition. The people on your email list are in an environment of zero competition because they love you. So now you release your next book, and yes, it might have cost you 20 quid to get them on your email list and you might be selling your books for 20 quid and which means you didn't make any money okay but the next book you release for 20 quid you email those people and now you're into profit now you've actually got half a chance using data that you own you don't own the social platforms so this allows you to grow a database of people who are your fans who you can reach out to and turn what can otherwise be really sticky situation into Something that is viable, something that allows you to get paid for your passion. And I think also something I found with my list is that people can be really nice. Like I sometimes share random updates. Like if I'm not very well or when the dog was poorly last year, I had people emailing me to check in on how Millie was. Like because, (laughs) yeah, it was just so lovely. And people like saying, oh, have you tried this? Oh, have you tried that? Because they care. And that relationship is there. And then those people are also on my ARC team. So they get a free copy of my next book in exchange for a review because that relationship is there. And you only get that from emails. Yeah. At the end of the day, whether you sell fiction, nonfiction, um, somewhere in the middle, it doesn't really matter. People become a fan of you. And email turns people into fans, really. I, I think like nothing else. It's the reason why we watch reality TV, where you get to see celebrities or so-called celebrities. I always think it's funny when you have a program full of celebrities and the first thing that happens is they all introduce themselves to each other and say, oh, hello, who are you? And you think, <laughs> you don't even know who each other are. How are we supposed to have each other? Anyway, uh, you have the reason why we watch those rubbish reality TV programs is because we care about seeing the inside of things and the inside of people's lives and what's going on with them. And so you get to take people along on the journey with you. And do you know what? If you're um, if you're sharing stories and stuff from along the path of writing that next book, that's so much more interesting. They're so much more emotionally invested in that. And just the same way you would do it on social media, you can do it by email, but it just has such a deeper impact. 
It really does. Do you think the email marketing strategies that people use need to change depending on the product or service that they're selling? It's a great one. It's a great it's a great thought, isn't it? Because we all think, well, my business is different. Yeah, it is different. Every single one of our businesses is different. But what is consistent is that we're all selling to other human beings. And that's why human psychology is the crux of all of this stuff. So whether you're selling non-fiction, really technical books to corporations, or you're selling a lovely ghost story, like some of the things that you write, Christina, to individuals or, 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 or whatever, we're all selling it to one person. It's one person buying the thing. So what we have to do is figure out how do we just let go of this idea that we're, oh, mine's different. We're all selling to other people. And that means what do people actually engage with? What makes people open your emails? And then what makes them, after opening and reading your emails, what makes them then click to go and have a little look at your new, new series, your new whatever, your new book? And so that all comes down to the people. And if we understand the people right... It's all to do with the thing that, annoyingly, you as authors have an unfair advantage over mere mortals like us. And that that frustrating superpower you've got is storytelling. If we, st if we know the reason stories work so well is because they allow people to emote with the content, right? And the reason people emote with the content of your stories, and you guys know this better than anybody, but I'm going to just remind you, because sometimes it's that stuff that you thought about a long time ago, you need reminding and back, back to the surface of your consciousness. The reason people emote, they feel anything with, you know, they're, they're scared and afraid of that ghost story. They laugh out loud at that funny bit. Or the reason they have those aha moments of, oh God, I need to stop doing that. The reason they feel anything is because when we hear stories, we put ourselves into the story. We see and experience stories in the first person. So that's why they work. And why they work so well is because stories physiologically take up more space in people's brains, which means they stick around for longer. That's why there are stories that you're probably still telling today about events, stuff that happened years and years and years ago. Whereas how many lists of things can you really remember off the top of your head? Probably not that many. That's why you've got checklists and processes in place, right? So stories really, really work. So that means if there's value in stories and people get value from your stories, you can tell simple hundred word stories in your emails about the things that are going on in your world, your life, your dog, your partner, your whatever. And that relates, they, relates you to them and them to you, which it means they're going to continue reading like some kind of soap opera, like some kind of addictive television show, what's going to happen next. And that means they're now going to click on your emails. So we're going to appeal to the basic psychology of people are nosy. They want to know what's going on in your, on your, on in your world. And by the way, the reason we want to know what's going on in people's world, the reason we voyeur into other people's lives is because we want proof that we're not the weirdest person we know. Right? So when we share bits of ourselves, we're allowing people to get that acknowledgement as well. So whatever you're writing, whatever you're selling, here, authors, my writing people, we need to be telling stories in these emails and just transferring that skill into this. So we'll, we'll share some techniques on how you do that. Because you might be thinking, how on earth do I do it? It's funny you should say that. I literally had this conversation with Ellie about an hour ago about using stories in emails. So we've talked about storytelling. We're probably going to talk about it a lot in this episode, but let's go back to psychology. How does understanding that on a deeper level help us write 
better emails. I think there's a bunch of things to unpack with that. I mean, the first thing is just on the basis that what we tend to do is we tend to project a lot of our thinking onto the people that we're going to be potentially emailing. So your readers, your customers, your fans, we tend to look at how we engage with the world and then project that onto them and assume that that's exactly the same as them. And a lot of the time you've got to realize, actually, you're the person sending the emails, you're the person writing the books, you're the person selling the books. They're the person buying the books, reading the books, and hopefully enjoying the books. And what that does is that instantly puts you on very different sides of the same wall. And actually, if we now stop projecting the way we feel about the world onto them and assuming that that's how they feel, because you've got absolutely no right whatsoever to assume anything about them or, or their, their interaction with anything, that allows you to actually just escape a whole bunch of stuff. So instead of thinking about things like, well, I don't like receiving emails every day and therefore I shouldn't email my subscribers. In fact, I don't like receiving emails at all. And therefore, I shouldn't email my, 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 my customers and my subscribers. We should instantly forget that and say, well, actually, what if we change this around and said, well, in that case, I'm going to take it upon myself to write really good emails that they'll enjoy receiving. Well, the first thing is we just have to get over that mindset block of thinking, well, I don't like it, therefore they won't. It's no value to me in the emails that I receive from all these big companies and therefore they won't get it. Or, well, most of the emails I receive are from big companies and I'm not a big company. I'm just a little humble writer, so I shouldn't do this either. Once we get rid of all of those mindset blocks of ourselves, that's the first thing that we need to do in terms of understanding the fact that actually, if we write good emails, people will enjoy reading them. Just like if you write good books, people will enjoy reading them. People enjoy reading good stuff, no matter where it is. And email is just another content channel. So I think the first bit of psychology we have to unpack is just the psychology of ourselves. What is it that gets in our way of delivering stuff that people want? And if people want to read your stuff in a book, they'll want to read it by email. So that, that's the first thing that we need to do. And then Kennedy, do you want to talk a little bit about how we tap into the psychology of what we actually write in the emails? Yeah, I mean, what you've got to remember is, like we said, people are nosy. People want to know that they're not the strangest and weirdest person in um, in their world, in the world, right? So how do you actually come up with these ideas? We've got a whole bunch of, we actually use psychology in order to hack our own minds to give us mental shortcuts. Because if you're going to email every week, a few times a week or whatever. You need to have shortcuts. There's no way you can be starting from the starting blocks and starting from scratch every single time because that's going to suck. That's going to be a lot of mental effort, a lot of mental gymnastics. So how do we do that? Really simple thing to do is just ask you this question. Ask yourself this question. And that question is, what is the least boring thing that happened in the last 24 hours? Now, that's a really interesting question because it removes this idea of you judging, making any judgment whatsoever about how interesting or not you might think you are. Because if I say to you, what's the most interesting thing? You'd be like, oh, nothing interesting happens to me because I'm boring as hell. Because we all think we're kind of boring. Okay, sometimes interesting things do happen, but mostly not because everyday life. Whereas if it's the least boring thing, what's the least boring thing that happened today? I don't know. We were on this awesome podcast. We got to speak to our friend Christina. We are doing our batch recording of our podcast, the email marketing show today, where we've got some least boring things. And the same for yesterday and the day before and the day before. So ask yourself, what's the least boring thing that happened? And then I'll give you one of our formulas. We have four different formulas that we use to cook with our emails. One of them is this. The first bit is to tell the story. And don't, when you're considering the story, you do not want to increase what we call the cognitive load, the amount, the number of mental calories that you have to burn. You want to be in flow. You know what you like when you're writing? You're in that flow and it's all just flying out your fingers before you can think of it almost, right? 
So we want to get into that. So how do we do that? Well, we remove a lot of the questioning, a lot of the decision making. First thing we're going to do is just start writing the story in as few words as possible from the whatever was the least boring thing in the last 24 hours. So you, you write that. Great. Now, the great thing about email, unlike live video or doing a presentation or anything like that is... You don't have to send it yet. You get to edit it before you send it out. Awesome. So we've written a little version of the story about the, la the least boring thing that happened the last 24 hours. So for me, it would be I got some nice new garden furniture delivered and uh, and it was it came in this mahoosive box. Lovely. All right. That's what happened. So I might write something about that. All right. Good. Nothing so far to do with email marketing, the thing that we teach, and so far definitely nothing to do with, oh, I've written a, a, a lovely new ghost story or, or whatever. So... That's okay, though, because we're not considering that. That's more cognitive load. We want to remove that from our brains. So we tell the story. Then we're going to move into what we would call the lesson, or it's the moral of the story. What is the thing that relates what we've just told them to this is what my new book is, or this is what I'm working on at the moment, the message you want to have. So you've got the story and then you're going to work out the lesson, but you're you're figuring out the lesson as the story is coming out of you, as you're just channeling the story. So the lesson might be, so let's just say it's, we paid extra for this delivery, so they would take the cardboard boxes away. Turns out the guy recommended we keep one of the big cardboard boxes. That's okay. That's not fascinating, but it's a thing that happened in the last 24 hours. It's got nothing to do with email marketing. Then I'm going to trans, and then I'm going to move into the lesson. Sometimes what you think you need to send the cardboard boxes away is actually not what you need at all because you need sometimes an expert to help you do that thing. <gasps> that is an emotionally and significantly valuable lesson to our audience. Ah, oh, sometimes what I think I need is not the thing I actually need. I need an expert. That's so true because I changed the light fittings in our living room, but when I came to doing the ones in the office, it was a completely different setup and I need to get an electrician in. That's another story I've recently told, right? In fact, in this morning's Email that I sent out is what I told that email. That's what I told that story. Then we're going to move from that story, from that lesson, into the offer. Now, that offer can be, I've got a new book for sale, you could go and buy it. Or, here's my book, it's still for sale, you should go and buy it. Or it could be, I've got a new episode of my podcast. Or, I've just written a new blog post. Or, I've just seen this other bit of content from somebody else. The whole point is, in every email, we've got their attention through something unique and, and interesting each time, which is the story. But here's a really important thing. We're training our subscribers to click. Because if we're not training our subscribers to click, we're training them to not click when we send them an email. So if every time somebody gets an email from us, we have an email, we have a link in that email, and every time you click a link from one of our emails, you know you see something good. Either it's a bit of training, or it's a podcast episode, or a really good product you might be interested in. Whatever, you, you associate that. When I get an email from Robin Kennedy, I click on the link, and I get something good. So that means when we send you links, you click on the links, right? So we need to be driving people to that. So that's the psychology of it. The psychology is we have unique stories that move into lessons, that move into some kind of call to action, some kind of offer something to click. Love it. I actually tried a different technique to market my book that came out last week, Hollywood Heartbreak. And I've never emailed my readers list daily before. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to try it. And I'm going to have a slightly different angle every time. And I also have been very upfront over the last month or so since I finished it, how hard this book was to write. And because I was emailing daily, because I did a live video, because I talked about the process, not only did I get more replies from people, I got more sales as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, because you're there every day. You're serving their emotional needs. You're deepening that relationship. And we can only do that. Now, we could spend the next, you know, two days talking about why those stories work and why that works. Honestly, do we need to know why? No, we don't know why the paracetamol fixes our headache. We just know we take the paracetamol and it fixes the fucking headache, doesn't it, right? So tell stories. You're naturally good at it. Why even do anything else? We're really big fans of doing more of what you're good at. Self-development. I have a bit, I'm going to go on a rampage now. Here we go. <laughs> right, sit down. Here we go. Self, the whole self-development industry, you know, fix you whatever it is and blah, blah, blah. The problem with it is it all makes us focus on the stuff we're not very good at. It takes a look at the peaks and troughs of, of, of what you find good and bad about yourself, and it puts a spotlight, a big raging spotlight, on your troughs. Which is crap. Why don't you just focus on the things you're already good at and make those peaks higher, right? So similarly here, you're already good at writing. Just write emails and You'll make more sales, you'll make it more affordable, you'll have more of an impact, you'll have deeper relationships, people will like you more, you become a little celebrity to those people, which is nice if you want that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So what are the big email marketing mistakes you see people making over and over again that just kind of make you want to bang your head against the wall? <laughs> One of them for sure is emailing, and we sort of touched on this, so I'll skim over it, but it is important to call out, is emailing about the thing that you sell, your book, as opposed to emailing about the things that they really care about, that like the deeper emotional stuff. So the book is is a vehicle for you delivering a message. If it's a, if it's a nonfiction book, if it's a fiction book, obviously it's a, a, a vehicle for delivering um, entertainment and escape and that kind of thing. However, the thing they really care about more than any of that is you, the person behind it, the person who created it. That's why people go to book signings and why they have book tours. Like sometimes you watch a stand-up comedy DVD and if you look for the extras, you can hear the commentary over the top of it. Oh, I said this then and then that person shouted that out as a heckle and this happened. People care about that and that's why that stuff exists. So that's the first thing is emailing just too much about, about the thing rather than about what's going on for you and what's going on for your life and how you're developing and that kind of thing. The second thing is, um, I guess, obviously not emailing the list at all so or not emailing the list enough. Even very recently, we've heard email marketing trainers, other people who teach email marketing, saying, oh, you know, if you just email your list like once a month or, you know, may maybe, you know, maybe every week, week and a half, something like that, two weeks, maybe, just because that way you're not, you're not bombarding with people. If you feel like you're bombarding people with emails, then your emails are shit. Because I have <laughs> to say, like, just recently, I don't do this very often, but recently I've been watching a TV program that's actually on the TV every week and I'm watching it episode by episode each week as opposed oh, to... Oh, you're old school, aren't you? Look, you rush home, put your coke Oh, quick. When the episode comes to an end and you've got to wait till next Wednesday for the next episode, that feels weird. And the reason is I want I want a million episodes today if I can have them because I like the program enough. So if your emails are really good, people want all of the all of the emails you can get. I spoke to one of our um, customers this morning about his email strategy, and he was talking about the fact he said, I have to, I'm trying to, I'm having to hold myself back from sending more than one email a day because I sit, something happens and I think, oh God, I want to share that with my people. And so that's the kind of feeling you want to get. So I think a couple of mistakes, first of all, is emailing about the thing you sell rather than about the experience and the emotional stuff. Um, 
obviously you need to talk about the thing that you sell, but it's not the reason for sending the email. If you just send people an email saying, I've got a new book, I've got a new book, I've got a new book. I released a book last week. I released a book last week. I, 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 I'm still selling my book. I'm still selling my book. If that's all your emails are, then they're rubbish and nobody's going to read them. But if they're about all the good stuff we've talked about, then that's more interesting. And then again, just not emailing the list at all, not emailing them often enough and not giving them in every single email. It's the third one, not giving people something to click on. As Kennedy hinted at earlier, like if we're not training people to click on our links and engage with our stuff, if they're just very passively reading the emails, they might as well not be. So have something to click in every email, even if it's to, you know, sometimes it might be a link to a blog post or a, an interview you did on a podcast. Like every time you get interviewed about your books on a podcast, or which you should all be trying to do, then obviously make sure that, that you, you're sending people to that stuff as well. Always have something to click on. So you're training them to sort of engage with your stuff. You've mentioned a few times now um, about sending daily emails. So can you explain why you recommend that? Because I see a lot of people cringe at emailing their readers once a month. The thought of daily emails might be just a little bit panic inducing. So can you just explain the reasons behind that and why it's effective? Yeah, I mean, I imagine the few people have had to have a bit of a lie down if they haven't already switched off at this idea of emailing every single day. So here's the thing. A really good reason to not email your list every single day is if your emails are shit. And that's just the fact, right? Anything. Like, it's a good reason not to release your book if it's shit. Like, if your emails are just telling people what they can buy from you, that's not a good reason to email people. But if you realise that people are on your email list because in the non-fiction world, they have a problem, they think you've got the solution. In the fiction world, because they want to hear about the life and times of this author, you know, no matter how big or small an author you might feel like you are, it's all a perception to those people and to you, and there's a gap in that perception. Right? They don't know how big your email list is. Guess what? That's a great thing about email lists compared to Instagram. Oh, look at your Instagram right now. I know exactly how many people like you on Instagram. I know. I don't know. I have a clue on your email list. There's no way we find out. It's impossible. They don't know. So, round, round, round the houses to why you should email more often. It does not have to be every single day, but it can be. And that's the really important thing. The reason it can be as often as every single day is if because if you show up with something that they find valuable, if you're helping them, and that might be helping them in the non-fiction author kind of way where you're genuinely giving tips and stuff, or you could be helping satisfy the same satisfaction they get from watching their favorite YouTuber, listening to their favorite podcast or whatever. They're getting their insights from you, which means they're getting value in it. So there's two challenges. One is setting expectations. When somebody joins your email list, you really wanna have a, a, a bunch of welcome emails, at least four, you know, what, between one and four emails that say, hey, Welcome to Christina's world. Isn't it lovely? I'm going to email you and tell them how often and tell them why it's a good thing. I'm going to be keeping you up to date with what I'm working on. Ooh, all the problems I have when I'm sitting, pulling my hair out, how to try, try to figure out how to figure out one of my characters or whatever I'm doing. You're going to hear the whole behind the scenes of that. Guess what? People love that. The evidence is there's a theme park out of a book called Harry Potter something something in London. Right? And there's another one in other parts of the world. Like, a book has a theme park that people pay so much money to wander around because they want to see behind the scenes. They want to see the making of. Oh, okay. I hear, oh, Kennedy, but that's, that's a famous book. It wasn't at some point. So that's the reason they're on your list. You tell them the expectation. I'm going to email you this, this frequency three times a week. I mean, honestly, if you're not emailing three times a week, they're probably forgetting who you are. Think about, think about when you were last dating, right? Right? Scroll your brain all the way back to dating. If that person didn't contact you for a week, 
Would you think you're in a relationship with them? No, but you want to be in a relationship with your reader or you're deepening that relationship, right? So we want to make sure we're doing that. The other part of that equation is, okay, maybe I can email them once a day or three times a week because it's valuable, it's interesting. And of course, you're letting them unsubscribe at the bottom if they don't want to hear those emails. And you could even put a little bit, a little link and that says, if you don't want to get my day-to-day emails, click here and I'll just email you when I've got a new book coming out. Let them choose. Like, I'm the only person here who's a mind reader. So don't pretend to be one, right? You can have a little link that says, don't get my regular emails. I'll just e- click here. That's fine. You'll email them when they got a book. That's fine. Some people don't want the relationship. Let them make those choices, right? Otherwise, you're a stalker. And that's weird. The other part of that is what to write. Okay, maybe I can email them every day, but what do I write? So we go back to that idea of coming up with a story. What's the last, what's the least boring thing that happened in the last 24 hours? That's your content. So hopefully you've got some ideas there how you can email every day. And if you do, you're going to improve your writing skill. The reason I started writing every single day was because I'm dyslexic. I find writing and reading, which means learning about writing, very difficult. So I thought that's not going to be my excuse to not write. It's going to be my reason to write. So it allows you to get into that writing practice as well. And maybe that's your way of getting warmed up for a day of writing. Maybe that's the way. I never thought of it as a way to warm up for the day. I usually do it at the end of the day <laughs> as I'm kind of winding down because it's a change of momentum. Like, oh, okay, I'm not writing about ghosts anymore and I'm not doing client work. So I'll just like throw an email together and then kind of away I go. I have a feeling there's going to be one coming up about dog poo later in the week. I, I, it sounds like a good one. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> White dog, it doesn't end well. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> We all need to be on your list right now, then, don't we? <laughs> find all, that's about. all the dog stories. One of my pet peeves, because I'm very lazy, is putting together emails that have lots of images and buttons and fancy formatting and all that crap. And I see a lot of people still want to send those kind of emails, even if they're not an e-commerce brand, for example. But how can including lots of fancy formatting in emails actually affect open and click rates, regardless of what you're trying to sell or what? lessons you're trying to um, share with people. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things here. The first thing is the, the, there's, there's a theory that the minute you stick a bunch of other stuff like graphics or logos, that kind of thing into your emails, you are instantly making deliverability slightly more difficult. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that if you put an image in your email, you're going to go to the spam folder because that's not true. It's much more complicated than that. And if you get all of the rest of the stuff right technologically and, and you have all the basics in place, then your emails are going to be fine. And it's okay to use an emoji in the email. It's okay to use an image in the email. And that's going to be fine. And from time to time, we'll put an image in. If we've you know just recorded a video, we might put a little screenshot of the video into the email and that's fine too. But surely speaking, we keep our emails so plain and simple. We keep them down to being a white email with black text. Some like some of the text might be in bold or italics if we want to draw attention to it, a link to the thing that we want them to go and look at. And that's it. And it does it for a few things. The first thing is it allows people to paint pictures in their heads and the pictures they paint in their heads will be more, always be more impactful than any image that you can put into their head. I will say this years ago when the, when the television first came out, not that I was alive, but when the television first came out, a little girl in the UK was famously interviewed and they said, what do you prefer the wireless radio or this brand new TV? that's just come out. And the little girl said, I prefer the wireless because the pictures are better. And it's an amazing demonstration of what the pictures in our heads do. And I realized the pictures on the television <laughs> were shit when televisions first came out. But, but still, I think 
pictures people paint in their heads are always much more impactful. If you talk about, and, and nobody knows this better than you as authors. I think if we talk about, you know, some dusty old ugly sofa, if I put a picture of the sofa in, I'm just painting out my grand's house, look at our sofa, isn't it awful? And I put a picture in the email, two things can happen. One is somebody reading might have that sofa and now be deeply offended that you've just described it as the worst thing you've ever seen. But secondly, if you just describe the awful sofa and let them fill in the blanks, and actually remove a lot of the detail that you might normally be inclined to put in. Don't tell them what the pattern is. Don't tell them what it looked like in this instance. Let them figure that out. Because what you're allowing them to do then is to pick their own ugly sofa from their frame of reference of the world. And nothing's more powerful than that. If they can go back to their own belief of, oh, I remember I saw an ugly sofa once subconsciously. Now they picture that ugly sofa because you haven't over-described it and you haven't shown them it. You've just talked about it. That's much more powerful. So it helps on like a technical delivery front for sure. And from time to time, putting a little image in is fine. It's not going to cause you too many problems. But primarily on a sort of, on the approach of allowing them to do the work and allowing them to paint the pictures, that's much more psychologically interesting. It is. I mean, think about as a, as a fiction author, you don't ever go, tell you what, bollocks to the words, I'm going to just draw a picture. You, you, you don't do that. You describe it with the words because you know how they evoke so much more depth and allow people to fill in the gaps like that's what you do yeah exactly and it's funny you were talking about the so for example rob it reminded me of one of my characters i describe him in quite a bit of depth in my first series what happens in and everyone pictures him differently anyway right without fail and if i tell them what this guy is meant to look like like send them a photo they'll go no that's not what i see and like, well that's who i'm writing about I'm like no no that's not what i see i'm like well have your image but that's not who i'm writing about you know right. and i think also i hate formatting emails because it takes too much time i used to know someone who would send weekly newsletters and spend two hours putting them together every friday and she was doing it for a business so you think the amount of money that business was losing because of how long they spent on that one task that could have been spent on something that was way more profitable and you've just got to remove all the resistance as well, right? If, if there's loads of resistance to doing something, it's difficult. Um, whereas, you know, people who go to the gym at 5.30 every morning put their gym clothes out the night before so they can fall out of bed like Inspector Gadget, land into their gym clothes and just, you know, trip over the road and into the gym, right? That's you what I do. That's what I do. Every, every time I've been to the gym, every <laughs> Both times I've been. That's how I did. Like you want to remove all the resistance, and the minute you've got to do anything difficult, that that puts loads of resistance in the way. So now, if you've got to worry not only about the like writing good content for your emails, but also making it look nice, and that's as you know that's as subjective as it gets. Here's the interesting thing about about putting subheads in as well. Like, so if you've got like sections, like the old school newsletter that used to produce in Microsoft Publisher when we were all at school, right? If you do that, what happens is you actually interrupt the flow because the person gets to the end of that first couple of paragraphs, that first section, and then you say, okay, by the way, this is this is the exit. You can, you can leave this email now. That's the end of that thought. So you can just leave now. You're just basically telling them all the different points at which they can stop reading. Whereas if it's one flow, yeah, you're still going to use paragraphs, but you're not going to say, now I finished that thought, now onto the cartoon of the week. Here's the cartoon of the week. Like, you're not going to do that because you're going to interrupt the you're going to interrupt the flow and change that flow. What you want people to do is keep reading, keep turning the page in their head. If someone has lots of links to different things, like here's book one, here's book two, here's a podcast I did, here's an interview I did, can that affect the click rate as well? It's interesting. We were very much a fan of 
one call to action, one email. Like, that was it. We didn't put anything else in. And then somebody told us about an alternative idea, and we said, that will not work. That is terrible. It's Marketing 101 not to do that. So, But uh, we were challenged to give it a shot. So we did. And annoyingly, they were right and we were wrong. Well, I'm pleased they were right, because it means we got to improve everything we were doing even further. So what we do is, in the body... In the main bit of your email, we're making one point about one thing. We're going to have one way of getting people to click. And there's a whole bunch of different ways you can get people to click. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But getting people to click. Great. But then you can use something we teach called, uh, well, we teach a version of Dean Jackson's super signature, it's called. And that's basically where in the bottom of all your emails, you might have four different popular links. So for example, in the bottom of all of our emails, it'll say, uh, by the way, if you want to do see more from us, here's some ways you can, you can do that. And number one for us, I think is, yeah, number one for us is you can listen to our podcast, The Email Marketing Show. And it gives them a link to that. I think it goes to Apple Podcasts or it goes to Spotify or wherever, you know, because you can get it on everywhere. Number two, we've got a free Facebook group called the Email Marketing Show Community where you can come and hang out and talk about email marketing as well as your business, blah, 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 blah. And we have the link to the Email Marketing Show Community. So we have two, um, two ways that they can engage for free. And then we have two paid on one, which is a link to our membership. So number three is our membership, the league. Come and find out about that. And then the last one is our email marketing writing agency, uh, and they can click and have a look at um, where they can apply to do that. So we have those in the bottom of every email, and we do absolutely make sales from that every single week. Even though the body of the email above, sometimes it's most of the time it's about the league, our membership, but sometimes it's not. It's about the podcast. But what's nice is you've got this catch-all, allowing people to choose their own adventure in the super signature. I've had links to my books in my signature for a while, and every time I sent an email people would click through to books I assumed everyone had read. And obviously I've got 17 books. Not everyone has read every single one, you know. And at the start of this year, I thought there's getting too many links in this. I'm just going to link to each series. Nice. And the click through rate has gone up and so have the sales from sending those emails because I don't name the series. I give them like a one sentence to describe the series. So I've completely blanked on what all of them are. Um, but for example, Afterlife Calls is something about meet a family of sarcastic ghost hunters. It's that simple. And it works really well. That's I've even had new people come to my nonfiction from that, from my fiction list. And what's really interesting, you said I've, I've blanked as to what they are. And the reason that happens is because once you've set that up, in the template footer of your email, you never need to think about it again. So automatically, every time you bash out that quick email using that story lesson offer framework we give you, even if you can't think of anything particularly you want to put in the offer, but there's no, there's, there's nothing to click. That's, that happens every now and again, not regularly, but every now and again. You know, there's still ways that people can engage with you and buy stuff from you in the footer. So that's already taken care of. So and you don't need to think about it again. I know we don't even update ours. I mean, not very often at all. No, exactly. If someone doesn't have an upcoming release for however long it's going to be, because I know some people release monthly, some people do yearly, you know, you've got to release at a time that you're ready. What could people write about in their emails if they don't feel like they have anything to sell yet? So this is perfect because, I mean, if you release a new book every three minutes, you're very quickly moving on from the next thing to the next thing. And it sounds like you feels like you're in a, in a hurricane and you're constantly moving. And that's that's quite tricky for people. So I think if you have a slightly longer time between a book, as long as say a year or more, I'm not saying that's ideal either. I'm just saying like if, if you have that length of time, then you get to talk about the the journey of researching, writing, creating, like all of the stuff that, that you go through, all of the trials and tribulations you go through over the 
the course of researching a book, writing a book. Oh, today I had an interview with such and such a person who does this because that's going to be important. And obviously no spoilers, but like I, I want to, and you start to tease the thing. It's a bit like, um, you know, trailers for movies now are sometimes released, I don't know, two years before the film's going to come out coming summer of 2020, you know, 2072. Uh, and they, and, they, and they, they release multiple trailers over the course of time. If you go and search only big film and the word trailer, it'll say trailer one, trailer two, trailer three, and you can watch them all. And the reason is because they know that they need to talk about the films from different perspectives. They need to show you different bits of the film to get people's attention. Um, if they show you three trailers, that means you've seen potentially up to three times more stuff from the film than one. That's going to be enticing. And so th this is the written equivalent to that. Being able to turn up and show people what's going on behind the scenes in that creation process is really interesting. So for me, that's an ideal situation because it gives you a lot longer to build tension, anticipation, curiosity, and all of the stuff that marketing really hinges on. It reminds me of like so many people tell me they don't know what to put in emails. And I keep giving the exact same example and I'm going to mention it again. Um, for my second fantasy book, I researched mummies in ancient Egypt a lot. And that has been such a good content opportunity, writing about all the weird shit that I found that is never going to make it into the book, but is really like fascinating and interesting and kind of adds more depth to the world because you realize like, okay, this 4,000 year old mummies woken up in present day. And back then it was an entirely different culture. And then there are some Victorian ghosts and the Victorians used to eat mummies. It's like there are all these different parts that are connected and people love the weird mummy facts like Victorians used to paint their walls with mummies and think that mummies had medicinal properties and stuff. Maybe it's just me, but the blog post I wrote on it actually did really well. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And it's all that stuff. Like it all just comes along for that journey and anything and everything. Like every, you can't help read a book, um, fiction, nonfiction, without that weaving its way into the conversations you're having. And some of those conversations happen to be with your email list. Exactly. What about selling then? Whether an author's got a new release coming up or they haven't released for a few months, how often should authors be looking to sell in those emails that they send? The big mistake we see anybody who's selling anything, and this will definitely be the case for, for authors, is nobody, no, not even Google themselves, are getting 100% of their subscribers to open their emails. Nobody. Because that's just not how it works. And so one of the things we absolutely have to do is make sure that we have a sequence of emails which are designed over the course of 6, 8, 10, 15, heck, 30 days if you want, to build up all of the beliefs, the excitement, the desire, the anticipation, the action to go and buy your thing, to go and buy your book. So that's going to involve talking about what's going on behind the scenes, about introducing different characters, about every single thing. The advantage email has especially the way we do it over like the description of like on a sales page for like for your book is you get to drip feed and control that the, the actual feed of that narrative being released. So you can tell a person, hey, you've got to read this message. And then the next day, I'm going to tell you the next bit of the puzzle. That's all leading towards the release of the book. Whereas if you put it on a sales page, I can tell you now what people do is they see the headline and they scroll to the bottom, have a look at the price. They scroll back up a bit see what's included, then they start reading around. You can't control that. That's just the way it is. Whereas in emails, you can control it. So what you're going to do is you're going to have a series of emails. What What's really nice to do is just, let's say you're going to do a six or seven day, let's say it's a seven day launch, right? So your book's going to come out on 
today, you're going to do two before it launches emails, getting some anticipation, and then you're going to do five emails once it's actually live and, and, and available to buy. What you're going to do, you're going to email every single day for a start, which means you get to build momentum. You know, it's a bit like when a new game comes out for your favorite console or a new movie comes out. They're leaking a new thing, another thing, another thing, another thing. And it's building up this, like, it's almost like a drum beating. And the, the, the rate, the speed, the tempo of that drum is increasing. That's the th same thing we want to feel as the, as the, as the pulse of, of the list. So make sure you send multiple emails because if you're only getting, for example, we, um, we know somebody uh, who who was emailing their list once a week. I might butcher these numbers a little bit, so I'm trying to get as... I'll, what I'll, do is I'll, I'll do less impressive numbers, um, but their numbers were mo more impressive than this, but I don't want to misquote. So they were, they were, say, getting an average of 30% of their entire email list opening an email, which means they email once a week, 30% of their list, absolutely get to hear about their new book, their new release, their new thing. Great, but that does mean 70% of their people didn't hear it. But if you now email a second time a day and a third, a second time a week and a third time a week and so on and so forth, let's say you email seven days that week. And let's say because of your frequency, you're of seven days a week rather than once a week, let's say your open rate drops to 20% instead of 30. Over the course of the week, you could still end up with 90% plus of your list seeing an email from you because within that 20%, it'll be different people. So you definitely want to have a campaign already pre-planned out to release day after day after day on the lead up to that launch. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, with Hollywood heartbreak, when I was emailing daily, I sent something different every day and therefore I got sales from different people every day. And it sounds, I know for a lot of authors who dislike emails or dislike selling, it might be a bit of a mind fuck to think, well, if you email more, you get more sales, right? But that's ultimately what everyone wants is they want more people to read their books. So you're going to do what gets you to that goal, right? And, and it's just more writing. It's more writing, but it's just creating anticipation and curiosity about this thing you've spent so much time and effort and passion and love that you've poured into this thing. So why not then express that passion, that excitement, and why people should then go and appreciate what it is you've created by doing a little bit more writing? Exactly. Saying that, though, there are still going to be some people going, oh, no, I can't sell. I can't sell. Selling is terrifying. Marketing is terrifying. What tips do you have for someone to get over their fear of selling in emails or maybe in general? I think the first thing is if, if your books are good and you want people to read them, then you then you are doing them. And people say this, and it's true. You are doing them a disservice by not selling it to them, by not telling them about it. And don't assume. One of the things that I think a lot of people assume wrongly is that they've mentioned it somewhere and therefore everybody knows about it. The story I always tell is when I went to school with a girl who her and her brother left school and opened a hair salon and fairly recently, a few years ago, I was looking to change hairdressers, right? To do this, this thing on my head. And so basically I, I looked Amelia up on Instagram. We've been connected on Instagram since I left school, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. So I looked it up and sure enough, there she is. She's still got the salon. So I thought, great. So I sent her a message, went down, booked an appointment, turned up at the salon. First thing she did when I sat down was she threw the big black cloak around me, tied it around my neck and said, right, what are we doing today then? And I told her what we we're doing. And then she said, and uh, that's what all hairdressers ask. And then she said, um, what are you doing these days? And I thought, what do you mean? What am I doing these days? We, I talk about it all the time on social media. I post pictures about this email marketing thing on my hypnosis Show and I've got a software company as well. And I've got this, that, and the other. What do you mean? What, what are you doing these days? And then I remembered I had to look her up on Instagram, despite the fact we're connected, to look her up on Instagram to see if she still had the same hair salon that I was sitting in right there and then, even though 
almost all of her posts are about it. And so what that made me realize is that actually people just have stuff in the way. They've got algorithms in the way. They've got their own agenda in the way. They've got their own busy lives in the way. And so however loud you think you're shouting about something, it's not loud enough. If you think you're talking about something too much, you might be a little bit close. If you're talking about it to the point where it feels massively uncomfortable, massively uncomfortable, then you you might just be talking about it enough. We talked a minute ago then about email campaigns and how sending lots and lots of emails about one thing is more beneficial than just sending one and being done. So can you just dig a little bit deeper into why sending multiple emails about the same thing converts better than just sending the one thing? Yeah, I mean, the first part of that is to do with no one's getting 100% of people opening their emails. That's just not happening. No one's doing that. The other part of that, though, is psychologically speaking, each of us buys when we're ready to buy. None of us likes to be sold to, right? So we want to make sure that our emails are not like, oh, I'm definitely selling to you. Like it can definitely be very directly telling people about your thing, but we all buy for different reasons. So I might buy at the moment, I have this amazing pain point that your book release or any product or service is going to solve. And so if you just tell me it's available, I'm going to go buy that thing. I don't need very much information for that thing, perhaps. Whereas somebody else, maybe Rob, he's like, you know, he's thought about solving that problem. He's thought about getting a book about it. Maybe he's thinking about it. Day number one comes along. You've just told him about the thing it's released. That's great. He's like, oh, that's interesting. I'll have a look at it at some point. And on day two, you turn up with, let's say, day number two, you're going to send them some testimonials, some quotes that you've had from other people. And he sees somebody he likes, or he says somebody, he sees somebody in that email that says, wow, this is a much simpler system than the other book that I read about it. And Rob goes, oh, if it's simpler that I'm now interested and that's his trigger to actually go and buy. So we, what I'm saying is we each have different triggers to buy and each of those emails needs to deal with a different trigger. One of them might be ease. One of them might be speed. One of them might be to do with originality. It could be to do with literally anything. It could be to do with social proof, whether they trust you or not, whether they believe you. It could be any of these things. Each of your emails needs to deal with a different one. And a huge mistake we see a lot of people make is they try and deal with all of them in one email. Most of the critiquing we've done of emails inside of our membership, the league, inside the Facebook group, on the podcast, everywhere, is usually that this email should have been three emails, four emails, not one email. If you make it one email that deals with one objection that helps people in one particular way, a few amazing things happen. One, the, reci the recipient has more clarity because they're not overwhelmed by lots of points. Secondly, it means you can show up tomorrow and the day after. You can actually, you've got more material to send in emails because you're holding some of it back the way you do when you're developing a plot. And finally, it also means they are faster for you to write because they're shorter, right? So deal with one thing at a time in these emails. Yeah, I definitely prefer dealing with one thing at a time because like you say, you can go into way more depth and also then it's just easier to write. Exactly. Because you know the focus. You go, hey, today I'm going to focus on um, why this, why my thing's going to make things faster for somebody or whatever that objection is going to be. You know, and all I'm going to do is think about that and come up with the most interesting way I can say or come up with of dealing with that thing. And that makes it simple. Exactly. But sending more emails can mean that we have higher unsubscribe rates. And sometimes those people can get a little bit stroppy. Sure. Or maybe some authors feel panicky when they see they get like loads of unsubscribes from one email. 
So what would be your tips for handling um, unsubscribe rates or people who get a little bit mardy because you email them a lot? Yeah, I mean, there's really two bits to this. The first one is to realize that there is absolutely zero point, no no point whatsoever, nil point in having a list of a million subscribers and paying for them that you are too frightened to email. And I say the, you know, the word million, um, you know, I, I realize it might be a hundred, it might be 10, it might be a thousand, but whatever size your list is, there is no point in having a list of subscribers at any, any size that's costing you money every month to host them that you are too scared to email because you might as well just not have them. If you're worried about unsubscribes, you might as well not have it, have a list. The other side of it is, and, and I think this is the way that you should feel about everything you create, is this is my house and I invited you in and you chose to accept that invitation and come in. So we think about email as being quite intrusive and quite invasive because it's landing in their inbox. But actually what happened was you put a page on the internet and you didn't put a gun to their head and say, come along and put your email address in or I'm going to kill you and your granny. You actually just said, would you like to hear more about this? If you would put your email address here and I'll gladly send it to you. They put their name and email address in. And then if that's like you inviting them into your house for a cup of tea and they come in and if they don't like your curtains or the way you've decorated the place or what you've got on the TV or the smell of the candles you've got, then that's totally fine. They can leave but they can't demand that you change stuff. They can't demand that you strip the wallpaper in the living room and redo it. And the same thing applies with your email list. It's your email list. It's your place. It's your public journal, I guess. Your place to share your thoughts and the stuff that's going on in your head. And if you want to email and do that every day, do it every day. And if they want to unsubscribe because that's too intense for them, that's fine. They can leave. And if they do get a bit stroppy, as sometimes happens to us all, as you've hinted at, that's okay too. Again, uh, the, the key for me really is to say, well, that's okay. I mean, you don't, uh, this is my, this is my list. It's my house. You, you came in. That's how you feel. That's fine. But off you go, go and go and pay attention to somebody else. One of the things you can also do is give them the choice. We talked about the choose your own adventure story book earlier, and that is, some people may just be of the mindset that I don't want to hear about your dog and your kids and your blah, you know, the stuff that's going on, and they only want alerts when you have a new release. That's fine. So just have a link in your signature, which is part of the template you create once, which means it automatically is happening, which says, don't want to receive my daily, three times a week, thrice weekly uh, messages. That's cool. Click here and I will only tell you about new releases. When they click that, you remove the little tag in your email system. You put them onto a different segment, however you want to do that in your system, where they don't get those. That's fine as well. Like, allow people to leave completely and don't... One of my pet peeves is when people... I got an email earlier on from a guy who's apparently an email marketing expert and he did this thing. I had to resist. I even typed a nasty response to him and deleted it like a good boy. He'd done this thing, which really pissed me off, which is at the end of your email, you put, Thanks a lot, Christina kiss or something i imagine that's what no not kiss no <laughs> i was gonna say that's a weird way to send a business email <laughs> yeah well you, you, you'd be surprised uh you, yeah anyway but see ya christina right at the end at the end of the thing right but then they put like a gazillion carriage returns so that all this white space hiding the unsubscribe link at the very bottom of the email not cool because what you don't want to do is that, for a start, because it makes you look like a prick. But also, you want to make it easy for people to leave if they don't want to get your emails. Because otherwise, what's the alternative? If they can't find the unsubscribe link, they hit the report spam button. That's not good. Or they just stop receiving, they stop looking at your emails. Also, not good, because that's telling Gmail and everybody else that, uh, that they don't like your emails. One of the book marketing experts that I follow, Mark Dawson, 
in his course SPF 101, he actually recommends putting the unsubscribe at the top of your welcome sequence because those people who've signed up for a freebie maybe don't want to stick around. And he's like, if you don't want to be here, I don't want you. Bye-bye. It's not a bad idea. You know, and there's a, a, some of the email platforms are doing it now. Anyway, if you, if you look at Gmail, if you open a, a, an email in Gmail, um, quite often they'll have a little thing at the top that says unsubscribe. It depends how you've, how you've hooked stuff up, but they're actually building it into the email header in a, a lot of email platforms now as well. And for sure, I mean, for, for me, having the sub, having the, the uh, unsubscribe link in our email is uh, is enough. I wouldn't put it at the top, but it's definitely not the worst idea. For me personally, I want them to get straight into the meat of it. But if you're really, really, really keen on keeping the list really hygienic, then for sure do it. Yeah, you've got to be prepared to experiment with different things with email marketing, I think is the biggest thing I've learned. And sometimes that can feel a little bit intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. But every time you send an email, uh, it either works or it doesn't. You are, Either way, you learn something. You either learn, oh, that worked or it didn't work. And it's really worth experimenting. As Kennedy said earlier, you know, with the super signature thing, we were quite resistant to it until we did it. And then not only did we find out it worked, but we spent ages experimenting with it and adding stuff to it to make it even more powerful. And now it's the thing we teach. So it's it's one of those things where um, you have to just get in and try stuff. Oh, definitely. If you could give our listeners just one takeaway about email marketing, then I'll let you have one each. Because when I ask people to pick one thing, they never do anyway. What would that one lesson or tip or whatever be? For me, it would be to increase your email frequency to at least three times a week so you can actually have a relationship with your subscribers and find a way of making that work for you. And it might not be exactly the way that we just talked about it, but there will be a way. And that's your challenge as a creative person. How could you? How could you do that? Yeah. And for me, it's to tell stories, you know, regardless of what you end up doing and whatever you end up sending. Um, stories are the, are 100% the most powerful form of communication we've got. You know that. Let's use them in emails. And, and then that instantly makes your emails more appealing and interesting. Exactly. One question we ask everyone who comes on the show is what's one book that changed your life? So let's start with you, Rob. Book that changed my life, I reckon, is this one. It's called Win the Crowd, and it's written by a magician called Steve Cohen, who's called The Millionaire's Magician. And Steve does like a, 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 a really small parlor magic show in New York and like performs for like the super wealthy. But this book, it's subtitled Unlock the Secrets of Influence, Charisma, and Showmanship. And I got it. I saw Steve do a show in London when I was a kid, and he was selling the book afterwards. And it's not a magic book, but it sort of takes... It's written for the public, but it's it takes the secrets of magicians, so like misdirection and uh, confidence and that kind of thing, and applies them to everyday life to help you become more influential and all of that stuff. It's a really, really interesting book. So I read it when I was quite young, probably 12 or something like that. And um, yeah, it's great. That sounds so cool. What's yours, Kennedy? The Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> um, mine is um, mine's a really left of field one actually uh, for me especially like everybody knows me uh, you know this is kind of an unusual one and it's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza and it's a quite a spiritual um, head fuck of a book and it's really challenging and uh, a really good read why do you say it's really challenging it's challenging because well, it's challenging for me It's because it challenges your thinking. It challenges what everything you believe about the way physics and the laws of just everything work. Intriguing. I feel like I've got to add those immediately to my reading list now. <laughs> now that it's quite long already. Yeah. 
Yeah, mine too. Mine too. Where can our listeners go if they want to find out about you? Find out more about you both. I can speak, honest. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the biggest things we talked about a lot is we've got to get people to go and take a look at our stuff. We've got to get people to click those links. But the thing is, it can get boring. It can get repetitive saying, click here and then having the link. Like, how do you present those links in really interesting and compelling ways. So we've actually just finished. So I think you're the first people to hear about this. May, may You may very well be. We've just finished a new booklet called Click Tricks. And it's basically 12 different creative ways to get more clicks with the very next email you send. This is not technical stuff. This is ways you can do this. So if you go over to emailmarketingheroes.com slash clicks, clicks, uh, then you'll be able to download it there for free. You also get onto our email list so you can see how we do things and hopefully you'll get some more ideas from that as well. Amazing. I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been really fun and insightful and I really can't wait to share it with people. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. If you enjoy The Writer's Mindset, we'd be super grateful if you could leave us a rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice. Or if you're listening on YouTube, make sure you hit thumbs up and subscribe. It really helps with the writers to find our show so that we can help them achieve their writing goals too. And don't forget, if you'd like early access to episodes and bonus content, such as what most authors get wrong about email marketing, creating the perfect intro to your novel, and an insight into outlining, come and join us on Patreon, at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. We've got a lot of big things planned, but we can't do them without your support. Every little bit helps us to help you more, whether it's rating, review, or becoming a patron. That's right. See you next time. Keep writing. Thank you.